come with me if you want to live. I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. <laughs> Don't say affirmative or some shit like that. You say, no problemo. And if someone comes off to you with an attitude, you say, eat me. And if you want to shine them on, it's hasta la vista, baby. I don't know how much longer I can hold this. There's one more chip. And it must be destroyed also. I order you not to go! I order you not to go! I know now why you cry. But it's something I can never do. Welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast, where a bunch of guys gather around a table and we talk about movies that you will never, ever talk about in a film studies course. That's what we do, and that's why we do what we do. This week's movie is a pick by uh, guest host, Mr. Caleb Masters. Frequent guest host. Frequent guest host. And I guess, sir, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, and then tell us about why you're picking a movie this week, and a little bit about what's going on. Gotcha. Uh, Well, I'm Caleb Masters. I am reoccurring guest host who didn't quite make the cut for season three and uh, is being booted off the show. That no, is not no, true? No, 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 no. no. Just I voted him off the show. He got, I got voted <laughs> off the um, I am uh, going to be pursuing some uh, other career opportunities, which very likely is going to be taking me away from the Oklahoma City Metro uh, in the next couple weeks. So this will be either my penultimate or my final episode of the show. And these gentlemen here were fine enough to give me the uh, choice to pick the movie this week. And I feel very honored to have been on the show with these guys. It's a great group. Caleb, we definitely have enjoyed having you on the show. We're very sad to see you go, but we always want you to do what's best for you and also what's best for your future. And so we're glad for you to be able to have those opportunities and take hold of them. Uh, But we are sad. So, uh, listener at home, do raise a glass. Um, If you're driving, don't. And uh, or if you are, just don't raise it quite so high. <laughs> right, they will report you. Or some out for our homies that are no longer with us. Correct. <laughs> and so uh, Caleb has done that bit of introducing. Let's go ahead and introduce our regular host today, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the movie again across the table, if you would, sir. I am Arthur Gordon, and we have survived a nuclear holocaust, but we are a year away from hoverboards. Oh, true God. that, true that. Oh, to my God. right, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart, and I'm going to need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. <laughs> I'm feeling much better now, and my name is Dustin Sells, and I'm very <laughs> glad to be uh, with you all here to discuss this 
film Terminator 2, uh, one of those rare instances where perhaps the sequel exceeds the original. Yeah, definitely. And so uh, we're going to be talking about that. Again, this is an analysis show. Not a review show. So there be spoilers. Ahoy. Again. Yarg. So, dear listener, uh, we are going to uh, be examining uh, this film and telling you all about it. We are going to do a quick review, just our thumbs up, thumbs down, if it works or it doesn't work. But then in the unlikely event that you haven't seen T2 Judgment Day, probably skip out because we're going to talk about the, the, the details so we can uh, break it open and figure out what it means. Turns out to be a musical in the end and, you know, Arnie marries Edward Forlong. It's really beautiful. It's, and illegal in 30 states. It is by far the most, uh, I would say, heartwarming depiction of, of Greek <laughs> pedophilic love uh, ever depicted on screen. <laughs> I couldn't agree more and I cannot wait to get to all of that. I want to try to convince somebody that that's what you're going about. Oh, man. So before I, I guess before we get started, we should probably let Arthur read the synopsis of the movie. <laughs> yes, the voice of the cinema. Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. A cyborg. Identical to the one who failed to kill Sarah Connor, must now protect her teenage son, John, from a more advanced cyborg made out of liquid metal. Domo origato, Mr. Roboto. Thank you so much for that synopsis. It's interesting that that's in the synopsis because the uh, initial movie, you were not quite sure who the goody was and who the baddie was. I remember very, very, uh, very, very clearly having the VHS copy of Total Recall from the year before and seeing the teaser trailer where you only saw the assembly of the machine and it goes into some sort of molding machine, right, that that presses on the skin. And I really thought Arnie was the baddie uh, for that one. And so it's interesting that the identical... You know, that the synopsis itself gives away, I mean, something that you don't actually know for sure the first 20 minutes of the movie. I was actually wondering that when I was watching, every time I watch this movie, I think about how cool it would be if you somehow knew nothing about the Terminator franchise and watched the first one and then immediately after watched this one. Uh, because I'm curious what the pro- the promotional material for this was like. Did, you know, did the trailers reveal this? I don't, I don't know. The only trailer I know is the one that was on the, the VHS. The, the teaser. teaser. And it I've does heard, not. I've heard that the later trailers did start to kind of showcase that Arnold there was a differentiation. Yeah. Because, I mean, seven year difference in Arnold's career, he'd become a very different, uh, differently utilized actor in Hollywood. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm, this film, I think, is much more interesting if you know nothing about it. I, I think it's a, a deeply more fascinating. There's something fun going on. Oh, look, can I say too? When I watched this, this is the first Terminator I actually saw when I watched it originally. Did I? Uh, yeah. So I, 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 I do remember having that confusion of thinking, isn't he the bad guy? And then it was really cool reversal. I remember because I, I was like in the seventh grade, I think. So I, I can still remember enough that I was like, oh yeah, that's really cool reversal. The guy in the police suit, he's he's the bad guy. What's up? Yeah. I just grew up knowing that Artie used to be bad and didn't see the. I, I, I had seen Terminator two. Probably a dozen times before I saw the first one. <laughs> Same. That's what my childhood looked like. Well, that makes my heart sad. I had really bad parents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, let's go around the table. Let's do our reviews. Let's talk about whether or not this movie works for us. Um, a quick thumbs up, thumbs down, and a quick, again, uh, just what works or does not work. I begin with you, chooser of the film, on your perhaps ultimate or penultimate show, Mr. Caleb Masters, if you would, sir. This is an excellent movie. It's why I picked it. It's a classic definition of good trash. James Cameron makes a better movie than he made with the first one. 
acting's better. Arnold actually does a really great job, despite playing his typical self, brings layers to a character that's characterless. I don't really know how to, to sell it's, it. It's the best he has or has ever been since yes, on film. Absolutely. Agreed. And uh, I think, uh, otherwise, I mean, John Connor's acting, that actor, Edward Furlong, may not hold up as well as I remember. He's uh, 12. He's 12. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not, it's, not, it's no harm, no foul in the movie. So I just wasn't as strong as I remember. Uh, visual effects still hold up pretty well today. They're not they're not breakthrough, but I'm looking at them like for a movie that was made in 1991. Yeah. This is really impressive. I will say this on this viewing, uh, and I don't know if this is good or bad, but I definitely picked up that we're still hanging on to the 80s, just a little bit vibe, a lot more than I did the, the in recent viewings. No, they were only 18 months ago. Yeah, yeah that's true. I mean, no, no, no. in the 90s. So. And, no, no, no. It, it makes sense. It's just. Uh, I've got, it just it still is playing you say, that you say that and yet I, I feel like even though it's so early in the 90s this film just feels so definitively 1990s to me yeah. so? there's that's a fair. scene yeah. in an arcade at a mall yeah. wow that's fair yeah. it just I, it just feels 1990s well, I was thinking and honestly I think what the Guns and Roses probably the Guns and Roses well and uh, uh, the synthesized sound the very electronic which fits the movie the synthesized soundtrack kind of playing in the 80s which is in the 90s also well but, it carries over from the original film right right so um, I don't know but yeah yeah well the the, the, the leather you know the, the, the sh- yeah I don't know it does, leather never goes out of style brother and treat you as good as my leather and ride you as much as my heart So yes, excellent movie. Thumbs up. It's a classic. Go watch it. Thank you, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you, sir? Uh, definitely this is a two thumbs up for me. I think it's arguably one of the best action films of all time. Yes. Definitely of the 90s. Uh, it's fun. It's well paced. It's smart. And it's importantly, most importantly, it's about the heart of the story and, and the relationships here. Uh, more than just loud noise and explosions for nearly three hours, a la Mr. Bay. I think it's a lot of fun to watch this side by side with The Terminator. As a lot of things stick out. Namely, that this looks like the Terminator film that Cameron had wanted to make nearly a decade earlier. And also, I just think it's a brilliant plot point. We've already hit on it. But I think that that reversal of roles, uh, making Arnie the good guy, yeah. I think that's just a brilliant touch yeah. uh, that adds so much more to this film. And so, yeah, this is definitely... I, I really enjoy this movie. I haven't seen it since I was a, a kid, probably. Uh, but it's resonated. There, there are so many things I remember. I remember the T-1000 freezing, you know, and then... Not being frozen anymore and being all shattered and and the the, the liquid mercury. Yeah, stuff. there are yeah. so yeah. many great moments. He comes out of the floor. I remember the hospital sequence. So that when he's got some knife comes out. When he's in the elevator with the knives coming down. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, this yeah. Movie, I mean, this movie has stuck with me since I was young, yeah. and I think that speaks a lot to its power as a film. Thank you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I appreciate that review. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Well, in the interest of uh, full disclosure, dear listener, uh, for those of you listening to this in the future, time traveling forward to uh, you know stop Skynet after the fact, um, we are recording this episode <laughs> on January the 30th, 2014. Uh, last night, January 29th, 2014, the Xbox app for Netflix was down, dead, deceased, kaput, done. Uh, so I didn't get to finish this film. I uh, only got to watch about the first hour and a half of it. Uh, but, that being said, I have seen this film, I would wager, at least 30 times. It's, yeah, one of those movies you quote it the whole time. It has, the, ex- it has the very, yeah. it is one of the, those of you who have, you know, listened to the show a lot probably know that I'm notorious for not rewatching films. Uh, this is the rare exception. I have seen this film probably twice a year since I was four years old. 
I love this movie. I, I always have. Uh, honestly, it was, and it was actually going back in my letterboxed uh, history as I was, you know, typing up a brief review and letting people know where they could find our discussion of this. Uh, remember that it was one of the first films I ever added to my letterbox viewing history. Um, I, I watched it probably a month after I started using Letterbox real heavily. So, yeah, I love this movie. It is in, in the same conversation as Die Hard. Yeah, no doubt. When you talk about best action film. It's just that good. I mean, yeah, it is the definitive action blockbuster. Not only in terms of pure spectacle, but it's just a, a straight-up good movie. Mm-hmm. It's not just a good spectacle, and that's that's why it's a timeless classic as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I, I would say if you're having a, a conversation about what is, quote, film canon, this is every bit as necessary in that conversation as Citizen Kane. That's how good T2 is. Wow, wow. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Donald Stewart. I, I want to echo some of the thoughts of Mr. Arthur Gordon. I think uh, what, what's great about this movie is that it does all the action stuff right. The special effects are spot on. The set pieces are absolutely thrilling. And they still look good. They do still they look really good. They really do still Caleb look said. good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they look great. Yeah. But they are all servants to narrative and characters Absolutely. rather than the other way around, which is uh, part of the problem we have in a lot of contemporary blockbuster action-y sorts of films being made. So I, I love it. Uh, I got to tell you guys, uh, this movie is super nostalgic for me. I remember being barely old enough to put my money over the top of the counter, Poor Boys Videos in Cordell, Oklahoma. I got a copy of this in The Howling Four. Hey, poor boys, videos in Cordell, Oklahoma? Why are you running R-rated movies to, like, 10-year-olds? Yeah, they didn't care. <laughs> uh, it was awesome. And uh, so, yeah, I was 10, getting the two R-rated movies, no less. No less. And there was nudity in Howling 4. And oh, snap. Uh, it was awesome. And uh, we were over at a... <laughs> <laughs> it was strange because I, I, it, was, it was an overnight party uh, where uh, another friend of my dad's was over and she had a daughter. And so we were all sequestered in a room watching these movies. It was a crazy weird thing. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Or the best party ever. Anyway, uh, this movie is just a, a great memory for me. Uh, like Dalton, I've seen this movie multiple times over the years. Uh, I really, really enjoy it. It's up there with Ghostbusters with its quotability. I don't even have to have to watch the movie or see the movie at all. I can be in the room with the movie. I can leave, and I know exactly what scene we're at. That's how well it's just ingrained in who I am. So, of course, it's mega thumbs up uh, for me. Excellent stuff, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, this movie is obviously a movie that we all like uh, very, very much. But we're not here just to talk about why we like it. We're here to, to do some analysis. And so what we want to do now is bring the thunder to the show. And so, Dalton, you got some thunder to bring? I have a bit. Um, you know, when I watch Terminator 2 Judgment Day, as is its full Christian name, <laughs> colon colon judgment day <laughs> there's something that really strikes me uh, and it's a concept I've talked about on the show a little bit so I'll be brief but it's this idea of primary and secondary socialization for those of you keying in uh, on our show for the first time I, I typically cover sociology sociological theory for our films because that's you know my area of study uh, and there are these concepts in sociology of primary socialization and secondary social, socialization excuse me uh, and these are primary socialization being your family, the people that raise you uh, from infancy to uh, you know young childhood or adolescence. And then there are these agents of secondary socialization, school, uh, friends, uh, media, religion, the things that get to you when you're about seven or eight and you start looking at the world with your own eyes. 
and really I thought a lot about that when I watched T2 and specifically the way it presents fathers and sons and even more mm. specifically the way it presents blended families non-traditional family stepfathers and stepsons uh, this idea that that Edward Furlong uh, John Connor and the T-800 slash Model 101 another inconsistency in the series sorry um, have this relationship that is very much, and, and Sarah even addresses it directly, of all the would-be fathers, he would be the one that would never leave. Uh, and, and it's a very interesting dynamic of how, really, John Connor is is the Terminator's father in a lot of ways, despite being a 10-year-old. He is the one that you know acts as his secondary agent of socialization. After the Terminator has this very you know bare-bones personality that was programmed into him, uh, by Skynet and then by the human resistance, he is taught by John Connor what it means to be human. And there are a lot of scenes in this film where John is, you know, teaching him either how to be more human or what it means to be human and how you behave in society. And that was really what I resonated with me when I was watching this film this time. I keyed in on, on how the Terminator acts as a father to John Connor, but this time watching it, I really picked up on the fact that Honestly, the father in this relationship is John Connor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we definitely see that a lot as uh, John's teaching him, you know, you can't take a human life. You can't kill. Uh, you just can't. Yeah, there's a moral code that he has to. He tries to teach him. He tries to uh, teach him how to interact and be more natural with other people. He tries to explain emotion to him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, what it means to hurt. I know what it is to cry yeah. now. So I, I totally agree. And, you know, it's not just... The, the ethics he's teaching him, he's teaching him phraseology, so socialization. Yeah. Hey, here's how you look like a normal human being. Here's how a normal human being will talk. You know, it's Except not for just... he does not teach him anything a normal no. human being actually yes, no. says. baby. Chill out, dickwad. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. We move on now to Mr. Caleb Masters, if you would, sir. I'm going to talk a little bit about how this movie deals with man's obsession with advancement. Uh... Uh, and how the obsession with advancement is actually paving the way to, to destruction. Something I think James Cameron touches on on many, in many of his movies. Um, Most of which start with the letter T or the letter A. Yes. Thank, God. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, I'm okay this movie, and, and, the, and the thing that keeps coming back to me is that the, the real advancement is not technological advancement. It's not individual advancement. It is self-sacrificial advancement. So if you want to look at the movie, you've got, uh, we are, uh, you're looking at uh, the people who are actually preventing destruction, preventing the dark future, who are actually advancing the human species to survive. Mm -hmm. uh, Miles Dyson, self-sacrificial. He, he, he not only sacrifices his life, but... <laughs> well, that was self-sacrifice more than he didn't have another hand. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't have to, He could have not gone. He could have just said "f you" when they walked. You know, when they walked in. Yeah, he, 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 he could have just said. He says, "I'm going to help you guys." You know. Yeah, he hears what his role in this all is. He's about to throw up. <laughs> well, he kind of believes it when Arnie pulls his arm off. Yeah, yeah. such a great scene. That is yeah. a really good. Oh, it's yeah. a really great scene. That is a moment they always cut from the. Uh, they always cut from the TV edit mm -hmm. when I was a kid. I remember that. You see, like Miles Dyson, and then you don't see what he's looking at, and you're like, "He's like, oh my gosh, yeah." You want to cut? Yeah, knife. And then it cuts to Dyson. Anyway. Yeah. So, uh, next next uh, point of self-sacrifice, which I think is a huge theme in this movie, is the T-800 at the very end of the movie. he's he, he says, we have to stop Judgment Day. There's one more chip left to destroy. And I think despite the fact that he's a robot, he does kind of have that understanding that of his role as if he isn't gone, 
then Judgment Day could still happen. It's not even that it will, it's that it could, and it, it takes that little self-sacrifice to advance the human race. Because so, he learns what it means to cry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the last example of self-sacrifice we're going to look at is Sarah Connor sacrifices her relationship with her son to ensure that Judgment Day doesn't happen. She gets herself, I mean, I'm not saying she did it the right way, but her intent was to stop Judgment Day, and she gets herself locked away so that her message can get out, so that people will believe her. Um... So I think self-sacrifice is a huge theme running throughout this movie, and uh, I think uh, if you want to break it down and the, the way the character the characters play all play into this, T-800 comes as a father figure for John Connor that inadvertently teaches him self-sacrifice. Now what I'm saying is, we, we talked you talked a little about how, so as Dalton was talking about earlier, how is John Connor acts as a father figure for the T-800, I think it goes both ways, because John, even though he's only 10 years old, is forced to have to think about things. Arnold shoots a guy, you know, he's about to kill him, and he's like, whoa, I don't believe in that. So in a sense, it's kind of an interesting role. Uh, he says, no, we don't sacrifice the lives of other humans to advance humans, because that's not how we work. Um, if you want to look at uh, the T-1000, being another character in this representation of, uh, of self-sacrifice, he is the ultimate product of human, of human quote-unquote, advancement. Uh, this is the being that has been created, uh, and it is death coming back to say, hey, look... Um, you guys are all selfish. We're going to kill you. I think that the movie is really getting at the true human advancement is self-sacrifice. We work together. Uh, James Cameron. Uh, we work together with people who are different than us. The T-800, who's a robot, not a human. But we work together with uh, Sarah and the Hispanic folk where they get the weapons from. Um, and I think that what's interesting is that John Connor acts as a bit of an avatar for us in which we learn about the meaning of how self-sacrifice is going to save the human race as opposed to selfish advancement. He works as an avatar. He is an avatar. <laughs> exactly. And that's why you get things like a very personal connection to the T-800 and the father figure. And that's why we all, every grown man in the theater or in their homeroom, cried when T-800 lowered himself in the lava and you gave the there. thumbs up. You don't know. Oh, I was there. <laughs> so ultimately, I think that the point that we can take from this movie is we are avatars for John, who is learning self-sacrifice and how to save the human race. And I think this is James Cameron trying to inadvertently teach us that we are the future of the human race. We are the hope. This is a warning. Dark times don't go there. We can stop this by stop looking out for ourselves and advancing technology, advancing all these things that make us comfortable. It's actually very much a, a Joseph Campbell and Campbell, Campbellian? Joseph Campbellian. Joseph Campbellian concept you bring up the idea. He talks about how all world religions are based on the idea that you have to die to yourself and recognize your own divinity and the importance of being the shepherd for all people. And I think that's I think there's a lot of that going on here. In Absolutely, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You just go ahead and preach it, brother, over there with your. Uh, I mean, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pick up everybody's so, analysis. So, so, so we're seeing, uh, you know, uh, this is an ideal that that, that the, I think the movie is, is is having a strive for. That John Connor is the Christ figure. He is the savior figure. He is the whatever Gandhi figure, whoever you want to put in there. Uh, that we are to strive for to ensure the future of humanity. And this is, again, a theme you can see throughout all of Cameron's work. And I think it's, it's, it's very evident here. Mr. Arthur Gordon, have you any analysis to bring, sir? I, I have something. <clears throat> In watching uh, Terminator 2, I began to see a very interesting companion piece to last week's film, Planet of the Apes. Uh, it would be very interesting to read Terminator 2 as having taken place in the years after the crew leaves Earth in Planet of the Apes, and in Terminator 2 we see man's full potential for destruction play out. Uh, this is the most harrowingly, harrowingly shown in the dream sequence. Uh, that reveals the proposed nuclear holocaust that could be in our future. And it is most certainly the one that played out in Taylor's future in Planet of the Apes. In fact, it is the reason he damns mankind at the end of the film. You maniac! 
God damn you! God damn you all to hell! It is within Planet of the Apes, an early serious forerunner of sci-fi potential, that we see this question being asked of how far will man go and why do they do it. Uh, Terminator 2 picks up this question, uh, which is sadly just as relevant a quarter of a century later. John Connor has this fear of guns and hates to see people die. Part of that is him being a small child, I would imagine. But I think deep down it's the early signs of the resistance fighter that would eventually come forth from this child. And so Terminator 2 certainly picks at this idea of humans and violence and war and asks a lot of the same questions that Planet of the Apes was asking. There's plenty of imagery and dialogue here to support the claim being made, namely the Holocaust dream and the few monologues that Sarah gives when speaking about the present fate of the world if they are not successful in protecting John. Now these fears are present throughout the film, yet unlike Planet of the Apes, they stay on the back burner, except for a few times. Planet of the Apes constantly examines the state of human relations and what man is capable of from the beginning of the film to the very last shot. Yet Terminator 2 doesn't quite push its agenda that heavily. It isn't as thinly veiled as other sci-fi films, and certainly not as thinly veiled as some of Cameron's own sci-fi films that would come out. This is why we're here, unobtainium, because this little gray rock sells for 20 million a kilo. That's the only reason. And in my mind, this non-urgent campaign at the background of the film hurts Terminator 2's status as a primarily sci-fi film, uh, which is exactly what Planet of the Apes is. <clears throat> in Planet of the Apes, the agenda is always front and center with interlude of set pieces. For Terminator, however, the characters and set pieces take center stage. Uh, there is an agenda. I would argue that there is a lot of commentary here about violence, uh, both in the real world and in cinema. However, I don't think it takes center stage in this film in the same way that the characters and the action do. And with that sort of generic structuralism, this film becomes an action vehicle primarily. Now, I'm not saying this is to take anything away from the movie or generic roles. However, I think when you deal with the sub-genrefication of films, it is interesting to see how the recipe sits and what makes them lean one direction more than the other. In contrasting the structure of both Planet of the Apes and Terminator 2, you can really see those borders and boundaries taking shape. Uh, both are obviously mixtures of action and sci-fi, but I don't know that anyone would potentially classify Planet of the Apes as primarily an action film, because the science and the exploration aspect of that science takes the lead role in that movie, whereas the set pieces begin to take center stage in Terminator 2, and in doing so I think it really turned both genres on their heads and marked a changing of the guard for sci-fi and action films, specifically those deemed as blockbusters. Wow, that was that was spot on. Totally yeah. agree. Dustin Sells, what is what is the analysis that you have to bring to T two? Well, Arthur, Judgment I'm, Day. I'm glad you bring up Planet of the Apes into the discussion because I was thinking about other dystopian future science fiction films uh, with role reversal type uh, situations. We have Planet of the Apes with the apes in reverse roles with the humans. Mm -hmm. We also have the Matrix series where the machines have taken over, which is pretty much a you know, we can see that T2 is a pe precursor yeah. of yeah. that film. Oh, certainly. And, and I, I began to think a little bit about just uh, American fears and American arrogance. Uh, and I, I really think that one thing that cinema does is it does reflect the actual concerns that we have as a nation. And it's interesting to me that one of the great concerns as a nation is that those who are our servants may someday take over. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's part of where, you know, the pets with Planet of the Apes, yeah. the machines in Terminator 2. The Jangos in Django and Jane. That they're going to take over. That they're, you know, this, this, this nervous fear that the people who make our t-shirts and, uh, and process our foods and whatnot will someday have <laughs> all the authority and they will treat us just the way we have treated them. And so I think there's a huge concern mm -hmm. 
uh, that's being relegated there. But there's also this amazing arrogance because it turns out that the machines are not actually the ones who win, are not actually the ones who bring about the defeat in Terminator 2. Uh, it, it's not really the monkeys who win in Planet of the Apes. It's just that we are so foolish that we manage to beat ourselves. Then we destroyed ourselves. Because yeah. uh, there's no real foe that could really stand against us. The only thing that could beat us was the, the robot that we built. Right. And I, I think there's a lot of hubris in that. And so Skynet launches his nuclear attack, which causes a counter-nuclear attack, mm-hmm. uh, assuming it's from uh, Russia. Well, it's not yeah. assuming, they say it's yeah. Russia. <clears throat> Basically saying we're, they used our own nukes against us. So again, it's always important. Yeah, and, and so again, the, 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 the victory that could be held, so there's this American arrogance, I think, in that we could not ever be defeated, but we could totally defeat ourselves. And the real fear is that in that self-defeat, those whom we have enslaved would somehow manage to find a way to enslave us. Those whom we've exploited would find some way to counter-exploit ourselves. And I, I find this film to be a bit of a meditation on those very, very bourgeoisie American fears and tensions and I, and as i watched it i thought more and more about just oh yeah that's that's what's going on it's all it's all about the ends justifying the means and then discovering oh wait i should have thought a little bit more about the people i crushed as i made that way and so we have a macrocosmic level of course of the uh, uh nuclear holocaust of america we've already talked about the traumatic scene where sarah connor sees all the children on the playgrounds and merry-go-rounds turn into ash and then she describes them at one point, like they blow apart like leaves. It's, these images and descriptions have stuck with me my whole life. It's right? going to be pretty fucking real for anybody not wearing five million sunblock. Right? And, and, and so we have that on a macro level. And then we see Sarah Connor doing this thing to keep it from happening, to yeah. keep oppression from happening. And she's going to murder a man in front of his son. Don't hurt my daddy. Not only his son, but her son. Yeah. She's going to shoot Miles Benedison in the face. Can I just say, I feel like that even this, all those images you just described, that, is the, that was the, the scene I was most unnerved by, was how crazy she is when she goes in there and how she literally is able to pull the trigger when the boy is standing, his body, right over his that, dad. That whole sequence is really, and I, and, I, and, I, and I think it's supposed to be one of the more upsetting sequences mm-hmm. of the film. The whole sequence where she goes to the Dyson residence is probably one of the most upsetting parts of that entire film. And I would say this, that this, this sort of uh, uh, glut of, or glot of uh, dystopian films uh, that we see that kind of work in this direction might suggest that, uh, and especially the Sarah Connor scene where she's continuing on that sort of cycle of violence and exploitation, getting them before they get you, uh, perhaps uh, somewhere even then in the subconscious, these writers who are, again, reflecting that, these very, very American fears, know that somewhere along the line the cycle's got to get broken. And that's, I think, where Arnie's pacifism, if you could call it that, um, comes in uh, to the film. Uh, and I, yeah. I mean, our, I mean it's, it's, there's no Amish Terminator. Don't no. get me wrong. But he didn't kill anybody. He, didn't, he never killed... He'll live. Um, and so... <laughs> Kneecap, man. <laughs> but don't you just love it when he walks out and there's like a bajillion cop cars out there and he's like, don't worry. <laughs> you know? just, to, to quote uh, Shepard Book on a Firefly... The good book's a little bit fuzzier on the subject of kneecaps. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny to me that you say that, and Sarah Connor has the... To me, it's something that's always stuck with me, is uh, she 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 chides uh, Miles uh, for thinking that, uh, th- that the only way men know how to create is by destroying. That she, she is the only human in the film that tries to... That we see on screen 
carry on that cycle of violence. Mm-hmm. And yet, other than the bikers at the beginning of the film. Uh, and she is the one that, uh, despite her, her chiding him for you don't know what it is to create a life, is the only person that really comes close to killing another person. Yeah, right. That's true. And so, which is interesting. At least an amoral act, if not immoral. Yeah. I would say more amoral than immoral, or mm-hmm. at least morally gray. Well, yeah, there's a lot to be Certainly said about, about violence. And then again, like humans advance. The only way to advance is to kill. You know. But again, I, I, as we've discussed, I think there's a, a, a real distinct societal uh, reflection going on here. And again, the hubris is what really blew me away as I thought about it. It's just like, yeah, there's no way, you know the Bangladeshis whom we exploit would ever get their vengeance on us. But we might mess things up enough where we blew it for ourselves. Well, thank you for that, gentlemen. I appreciate all of that analysis. Let's do our final verdict. Let's say shelf or trash. Else, or instead, I ask you, Mr. Caleb Master. Shelf or trash? Oh, this is a shelf. In fact, it is definitely on my shelf right now. Uh, Else, or instead, uh, let's go ahead and go with the the ill-fated and short-lived Sarah Connor Chronicles. How is that? It's actually not bad. I mean, I wouldn't say it's incredible, but it is. It pretends T. First off, it pretends T three doesn't exist, and says, "Hey, what if we thought we destroyed them, but we actually didn't?" And it's kind of a, it's, it's a different and alternate continuation that I think is a lot more effective and interesting than what, what what's done in T three. Uh, there's some really cool stuff. There's some really cool imagery. Um, Plus, it's got Lena Headey in it, and Lena Headey is one sexy lady. I heard she's really great on that show. Uh, she actually is really great. She carries the show. She's a lot more sympathetic than a lot of the other characters she plays. Human, but definitely check it out. It's worth watching. Um, I would also say, for those of you who don't know, there is a very popular fan theory out there that Blade Runner, Aliens, and Terminator all take place in the same universe. I think you should watch Blade Runner and Aliens also as a companion piece to kind of to kind of really examine because it kind of fits. It kind of fits the whole human advancement thing. Is we go to once the Terminators take over, we go to space uh, where again robots are there. There is a really sweet. Uh, AVP miniseries that's Aliens versus Predator versus Terminator. <laughs> I've read it. Fun stuff. One of the funnest reads I've ever read. All right, most fun I've had. Yeah, you're fine. Keep going. Uh, so, and then uh, two others. 2001: Space Odyssey. It deals with these questions of uh, self-awareness uh, and what happens if technology but comes back to bias in the butt. It gets too smart for us. And lastly was the recent movie by Spike Jones. Her because it talks about. Uh, AI and the evolution of AI and self-awareness and what that can mean. Excellent, Mr. Caleb Esther. I appreciate that very much. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you think? Shelf or trash? Else or instead? I mean, duh. It's right. obviously on the <laughs> shelf. Right? Yeah, I don't even think we need to do this part. Uh, <laughs> I will. I would also say uh, Aliens for a couple of reasons, but mostly, not, not the reasons Caleb mentioned, mostly because, one, it's also directed by James Cameron, mm-hmm. and two, it also has the distinction of being an amazing science fiction action film that is far better than its original. I think Aliens, look at me right now, I think Aliens is better than Alien by a long shot. Mm-hmm. By a long shot. Period. Uh, I would also recommend you check out Terminator Salvation. I have only seen the film once. I uh, saw it in the theater, but I remember liking it quite a bit, as much as I like to make fun of it. But it's actually not a bad film. Uh, I think it gets a bad rap because it you know, it, it gets lumped in with Terminator 3, which is not a good film. Mm-hmm. But I think there are a lot of things about Terminator Salvation that work both as fan service and both as interesting continuations of the ideas of the Terminator franchise. And, and, and I'd argue, is even if you want to consider it non-canon, quote-unquote, you could say this is an alternate universe where this stuff Which is, is a lot in, of fun. Yeah. Which I think is a lot of fun, because that way you can kind of make up your mind whether it's definitive or not, but it's still fun. Which is why time travel is always cool. Yes. Arthur Gordon, where does this go? Shelf for trash? Is there any other option? Yeah, obviously. It's on the shelf. Um, I think you watch this with, uh, first and foremost, you watch this with another movie uh, that explores this human-robot interaction relationship, and that's Robot and Frank. 
from 2012, mm, which I just watched. I know you're a, a big fan phenomenal of Phenomenal film. Yeah. I loved that movie a lot. Uh, then, I think you go on... Obviously, I think you watched the original. I had the privilege on Monday night of watching both of them back to back. It was a double header. It was, it was a lot of fun to see that. You know, I actually don't really care for the original that much. Oh, yeah. In comparison, no. But I think it's... I think it's certainly good in its own right. Yeah. Listen, the scene where Arnold tears up that police station is at least worth a watch on its own. Pretty vicious, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but finally, I'm going to agree with uh, Caleb, and I'm going to say, you watch this with Blade Runner. It's a movie that's come up a lot in recent weeks, and uh, we kind of explore that dystopian future and what humans are going to go through next. So those are my picks. Excellent, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Uh, my um, evaluation is the same, I mean, obviously, around this table. It's obviously a shelfable film. Uh, it's very, very good. Uh, I love it very, very much. Uh, I have only one else, uh, or rather, um, in addition to uh, Double Headers, more Arnie, and also the same minigun itself is in the film called Predator, in which is more of an action film than a science fiction film, but it has sort of a science fiction trapping around it, also featuring Jesse the Body Ventura, who doesn't have time to bleed. It has two future governors in it. It does. And it, Apollo Creed. Good times. It's the chopper! I'm actually you got yourself a stew, baby. Of all the great lines in that film, yeah. I ain't got time to bleed. Yeah, Get down! Get down! Get to the chopper! Ah, uh, so good. Um, I, <laughs> like chicken wing thing. So I really love that movie, and um, I think you know it's definitely a fun pairing if you're going to have a good '80s to '90s action sci-fi extravaganza. Well, gentlemen, let's talk about social media, and let's talk about how we can keep this conversation going, how our analyses can be evaluated, and also just how we can connect with you, dear listener, and give you more resources to hear and to think about the movies in a deeper way. I ask you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you know anything about social media and the Good Trash Genre Cast? Uh, yeah, you can find uh, the Good Trash Genre Cast on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Good Trash Genre Cast. And you can also, um, if you're not on social media, you can email us, uh, Good Trash Genre Cast at gmail.com. And there's not much coming in tonight, so I'm just going to, I think we should probably move on and see if there's anything else out there for us. Well, is there another medium left, Mr. Dalton Stewart? I'm sorry, what? Is there another medium left? Another medium? Mm-hmm. Of social media. Another medium of social media. That's correct. A medium of media. A medium of media. You correct. Say? The singular and the plural. I mean, I tell you, but I'm really trying to get out of this mental hospital. Because I need to go protect my son. Why? Because you just can't, okay, Arthur? Why? <laughs> <laughs> because you can't. Trust me on this, okay? Facebook shitty. The only true social media is Twitter. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Um, a pretty uh, amusing video was sent to us uh, in regard to this film by Brigham Cole, but other than that, nothing really coming in on the uh, Twitter this week in the way of feedback. Excellent, excellent, gentlemen. Uh, thank you for that. Dear listener, by all means, connect with us in those places uh, so we can keep the conversation going because, again, we can do this anyway, and we will. But we would love to include you in part of what we do. All right, thank you so much for those uh, mediums of social media by which the conversation can continue. We're going to move on now and do our game. Our game today is who in cinematic and or television history would you like to be your bodyguard? A la the T-800 played by Arnold Schwarzenegger defending the Edward Forlong John Connor character. I ask you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart, because it's your idea. It was my idea. I'm good at games, guys. Um, you know, I thought about this a little bit, and uh, one of the first things that came to mind was uh, The Man With No Name, portrayed by Clint Eastwood in the uh, Dollars Trilogy by Sergio Leone, Sergio Leone, uh, rather. Um, and man, 
right? Just a yeah. cool guy, just a cool guy with a cool poncho and a cool hat and a cool cigar, following you around to the glaring at people. Yeah, I'm gonna hate <laughs> Stare him down. Yeah. Uh, secondly, I'd uh, like to nominate my namesake, Dalton, from Roadhouse, played by Patrick Swayze, <laughs> the coolest bouncer ever. True that. I want you to be nice until it's time to not be nice. Yeah, he's awesome. Finally, uh, I would say Mr. Miyagi, because he teaches you to be your own Ooh. bodyguard. Mm, fair enough. I you like wash cars and jump off of rocks. Mr. Caleb Masters, what are your picks for I favorite have... cinematic bodyguards? Have several. Several. Uh, so I, I will run down the list pretty quickly. First off, number one is uh, on the, the subject of Arnold, John Matrix from Commando. I mean, come on, he's the guy who drops a guy off a cliff just because. Stick around. <laughs> he really carries a big log, and he literally destroys. He's not a robot in this movie, and he still destroys an entire military facility on his own. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that movie's awesome. That movie is awesome. I love it. Uh, Make a point. Uh, moving on to, uh, well, I'll, I'll go with my cinematic picks first. Robocop, just because, I mean, come on. Does it get better than Robocop? So, uh, then we're going to move on to TV. For some reason, TV is very prominent in my thought process. First off, number one, Jack Bauer, 24, because as long as he believes in you, he will literally lay that. He will die for you. He will torture the shit out of literally anyone for you. And he will torture anyone. <laughs> he at one point on the show died, and they brought him back, and he still didn't give up information. Nice. So... Great, great bodyguard. Not to mention he's kind of crazy. Um, Helps. Second off is from Game of Thrones, Braun slash uh, Braun and or the Hound. Mm-hmm. Both of them are excellent killers. Definitely going to pick Braun. He's much better conversation. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. But hey, if you're looking for someone to kill people, the Hound's the guy. But Braun's a lot more fun. Uh, moving on to Breaking Bad, Mike Armantrout, who actually is a hitman slash bodyguard in that show, and he makes an excellent. He does an excellent job. If it wasn't for those darn Keep nursing going. homes. Uh, and then lastly is uh, from a video game Resident Evil 4 Leon S. Kennedy just because he's a bamf I mean come on and he actually is a bodyguard in that he, game he does he is a bodyguard in that game in which he kills zombies or whatever to protect the princess daughter excellent excellent I like those picks very much Mr. Caleb Masters Mr. Arthur Gordon what are your picks uh, my honorable mention is going to the Velociraptor uh, Jurassic Park <laughs> If she could be tamed. <laughs> if she could be tamed. No, no, I, I, I can stick with this. Clever girl. Uh, next, I'm going to pick Rick Decker uh, from Blade Runner, who's been mentioned tonight. Uh, just because he's, you know, Harrison Ford. He's sexy uh, and awesome, and it's also sci-fi. I would also like Chewbacca the Wookiee. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I also think, is there any other than John Rambo? If I'm going on a mission trip down the Nile and I need somebody to protect me, <laughs> I want John Rambo there. Because he is a master of body paint. Who, who is played by Sylvester Stallone, who, in the film The Last Action Hero, plays the T-800. Isn't that cool? It's true. And he is your worst nightmare. And my final pick for a cinematic bodyguard is none other than Liam Neeson. Taken? Just Liam Neeson. Just Liam Neeson. Just Liam Neeson. See, he's both the yeah. mentor bodyguard and he's actually a freaking crazy killer hey. bodyguard. Hey, good pick, Arthur. You notice this list, huh? I'm always making lists. Oh, I... In fact, that's probably why Steven Spielberg cast me as Oscar Schindler, Schindler's List. I said, Steven, I make lists all the time. And he said, that's exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> what? What's funny? So, I thought you were joking about getting the part of Oscar Schindler because you made lists. No. As an actor, you need stuff to draw on. And I drew on that. Justin Sells, who would you want to be your co-star in My Bodyguard? 
you guys have really shocked me, honestly. I mean, truly shocked me. Why? That, that, that perhaps the best option out there available from Hollywood. Now, I will give my reason where I'm a little dubious about this particular character and actor. But I really am shocked that she did not come up. Scarlett Johansson, as the Black Widow, no. could protect me anywhere. <laughs> I mean, I'm she, just saying. I mean, John Favreau thought so. She's not... I um, mean, I'm just... I guess I'm looking for the father I never had. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least she's easy on the eyes. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. But, you know, she... What, pro- and Patrick Swayze isn't? No, not in the same way, bro. <laughs> 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 golden locks. What are we talking about here? But, he, had, he had to fight a lot, girl. During the anti twice, Anyway... But, but moving on, I, I, I'm worried about Scarlet because, you know, she might ditch me for that which is more productive and more financially feasible, me being the Oxfam and someone else being the soda streams of the world. So, but that's really my only female um, possibility. You know, I was thinking Sala, Ala, I was thinking Ala, the bodyguard, Whitney Houston and her Kevin Costner. So who would I want to be in my orientation, my Kevin Costner? Well, uh, yeah, I was thinking my bodyguard, who would I want to teach me a little lesson about what it means to be a man as a young boy? Ah, uh, there you go. See, I'm just thinking, you know, I want to get lucky. Yeah. Um, but moving on. And I... <laughs> I think perhaps uh, a, a great hero um, for us all would be, and this is on my only other pick, is Kurt Russell. And I can't decide if I want him more from Backdraft or if I want more the Kurt Russell of Wyatt Earp fame. See, I was... Of uh, Tombstone, I'm sorry. Yeah. Tombstone fame. Mm-hmm. Playing Wyatt Earp. Mm-hmm. See, I was more thinking Big Trouble in Little China, Kurt mm-hmm. Russell. That would be awesome, too. Kurt Russell's like Liam Neeson. He comes in many colors, and they're all tasty. You called down the thunder. Well, now you got it. You see that? It says United States Marshal. Wyatt, please don't kill me. Please. Take a good look at him, Mike. Because that's how you're going to end up. The cowboys are finished, you understand me? I see a red sash, I kill a man wearing it. So run, you curse. Uh, run! Tell all the other curs the lie's coming. You tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Indeed. So um, I, I think perhaps that's the best guard I can think of. That is a good pick. And someone with whom I'd want to have conversation. And again, that kind of father figure, I would like to live up to whatever image he would project. Um, yeah, I like I like her Russell Teach a lot. me what it means to be a man, Paul. But um, I still pick Scarlet over him if, if she was available. <laughs> well, I guess that's a show, huh? It, it, well, not well, quite. There's one more thing. There's a thing we do that we always do. Well, yeah. So it's not a show yet. Not, as far as I'm concerned, that's the show proper. But now it's time for that one thing. That one thing. That thing that we always do. Which yeah. is what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. And I hope, gentlemen, you're very fired up. Mr. Arthur Gordon, is there fire in your belly this week? Got a couple of things here. The first thing I want to talk about is there's a new regulation on trailers by the National Association of Theater Owners. Uh, it says uh, trailers can no longer be over two minutes. And they can be shown no sooner than five months out from release. You know, it's alright because two minutes in heaven is better than one minute in heaven. <laughs> It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. It's business time. Oh, 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 yeah. Hey, you know, I kind of support this because 
Maybe we'll start getting movie trailers that give away the whole plot. Okay, good. Point. And they don't give out all of the jokes, and maybe there'll be something left to go see in the theater. Although I, do, I kind of like teaser trailers. In uh, Europe uh, oh, oh, hold on though. The key is each each studio is allowed at least was it one or two exceptions. Uh, you could bring up they could they could present to the board and make exceptions. So your Dark Knight Rises that comes out a literally a year beforehand. Could still happen, so we could get that Star Wars teaser. But it's still totally non-binding, though. These recommendations, aren't they? I'm not completely certain. Okay, the obligation they're in. But I, I I can kind of get behind this, and so much as uh, what, what? You say get behind? (laughs) (laughs) I am a toddler. (laughs) It's true. He is brown chicken brown cow. The next thing I want to talk about is uh, Jason Reitman's new film, Labor Day, opens this weekend uh, here in Oklahoma City. And listeners may be familiar with his early work, such as uh, Juno, mm. Thank You for Smoking, oh. mm-hmm. and probably his masterpiece, Up in the Air. Yeah. Um, oh, no, Thank You for Smoking's a pretty, pretty good, a pretty strong it's freshman. It's been a while since I've seen it. It's a pretty strong freshman now. Yeah. I like Aaron Eckhart. I do like Up in the Air, too. And J.K. Simmons, every day. Oh, J.K. Simmons is phenomenal. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, but Labor Day, it's, you know, it's quite a detour in genre for Reitman, uh, but in doing this, it seems that he has found a new area in which he can play with the types of characters he's known for writing. And I think if you can move past the genre switch, uh, there'll be something you can find very enjoyable and wonderful about Labor Day. Okay. And so uh, there's that. Uh, finally, I have picked up a few interesting DVD Blu-ray choices of late. Uh, some that I'm going to revisit, some for the first time. I picked up Short Term 12, In a World, uh, Rush, and The Terminator on Blu-ray. And Rush is out? I didn't even realize that. How does The Terminator look on Blu-ray? It wasn't bad. I mean, it's... I'm gonna need to borrow the first two of those from you. You should watch. Rush. You should watch Rush. Also, just I don't give a shit. I want to see those other two. Maybe get rid of them for a while. I don't really. I don't care what Opie's putting out right now. He put out the best movie he's put out in twenty years. Hmm. Yeah, that's when like, the beautiful mind came out. Oh uh, well, fifteen years. <laughs> that's it. I'm I'm done. Thank you for being so fired up, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I appreciate that so much, Mr. Dallas Stewart. Are you fired up this week? <laughs> Not hardly. Uh, <laughs> where's the worth the hype again you know, again if you weren't uh, if you're time traveling we're recording this on Thursday the 30th of January last night was the season finale of uh, American Horror Story this season being Coven yeah, was alright was it so better know. than the season 1 finale oh I love season 1 finale speak no blasphemy at this table uh, sir it, it's, a, it's like the season 1 finale and that they remembered Oh shit, right of episodes. We gotta wrap everything up. Yeah. But it doesn't start doing it halfway through. It does it from okay. the start. That's good. It's just a little rushed. Uh, it's nowhere near as. Like, now, now that we're at the end of three, I can just say with certainty it's nowhere near as good as two. But it's still a really strong season and it's a lot of fun, as that show always is. Uh, finally, secondly, uh, something I've mentioned already, uh, I think I mentioned last week actually, but True Detective. Mm-hmm. Didn't watch it. It's, guys, it's so good. Guys, it's so good. Guys, it's seriously the best thing on TV right now. It's that good. It's amazing. It's got shades of the wire, but it's also got shades of um, deconstruction of the of the procedural drama. Mm-hmm. It's got things that made the killing good before it stopped being good. <laughs> Guys, this show is awesome. Uh, finally, uh, for those of you who are, I assume most of our listeners are in the Oklahoma metro area. Really, that's interesting. Dustin shaking his head no at me. Don't care. For those of you who are, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. For those of you who are in the Oklahoma metropolitan area, uh, if you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm really curious about some of these shorts that got nominated for Oscars, you can find them at the Oklahoma City Museum of Art uh, literally for the next month. 
Yeah. Uh, starting, mm-hmm. starting. Are you them all together? Yeah. Yep. Different nights. The, well, well, all of the all of the animated the shorts, all of the live action shorts, and all the documentary yep. shorts. That is excellent. I just want to just say you need to go. What got me to do what I do now, and that I pursued a master's degree in film studies, is uh, while in Pasadena, California, I wandered into a theater. And I had an option between some Hollywood whatever and getting to see all the Oscar-nominated short uh, live-action films. And I went and sat down, and I realized cinema was bigger and bolder and more beautiful. So, dear listener, check that out. That is a great opportunity. Yeah, that's something I'm definitely thinking about doing. There's a lot of it. It would be easier for me to just tell you to go to the Oklahoma City Museum of Art website than to list all the times they're showing. But uh, there's a lot of chances to catch those uh, in the month of. February, and also on Oscar night, March 2nd. Excellent. Oh, I love those things about which you are fired, sir. Mr. Caleb Masters, you fired up this week? I am. I've got a handful of things. Uh, one of them was I finally started watching Community this last week, about eight episodes in. Funny stuff. Going, for, going for, well, you and like 18 million other people. Fair enough. Uh, every other community fan ever. And it's great stuff. It's smart. It's a little drier than I expected, but still the self-referential humor. It's very smart, fun watch. I'm sure six seasons of movie people. Go ahead and hop on the bandwagon now before it gets to season six. Um, True Detective, I'm not going to elaborate on a whole lot because Dalton mentioned it, but uh, top-notch production value is literally the best thing you're going to see on TV right now. The acting's phenomenal. Phenomenal between McConaughey and Harrelson. You know what my favorite thing about their acting is? They're different. <clears throat> it's roles they wouldn't normally play. Boom, exactly. They're yeah. playing each other's yes. stereotypes. Yes, normally, normally Harrelson would play the washed-up drunk, and guess what? In this movie, in this show, he's the opposite. He's the straight cop. He's the, he's the charming guy. Yes. The charming family man who's got a little bit of a dark side. Yes. Exactly. And... and uh, and McConaughey is a crazy one. Yes, it's he is. awesome. And uh, I'm really into when, when uh, last time I had on the sh- that show is I'm really interested in this idea of spirituality versus nihilism. It's a huge theme recurring re- 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 between Harrelson and McConaughey. Can't you it, just have both? Well, it's, yeah, McConaughey, Ooh, does. McConaughey does. McConaughey does. It's oh, nihilism. Good. It's nihilism as spirituality. Yes. It's, it's a fascinating it's character. Very fascinating. I think that's what I, I do. I am very very interested to see how it's, that that theme is going to play out over the season because it is something they keep coming back to every episode. Um, so very cool. Check it out on HBO. Find HBO Go. Move off a friend. Um, secondly, Sundance was this last week, and the Raid Two had its premiere before it even hit the MPAA. So it was unedited, and apparently it was so brutal people were walking out of the theater. These aren't just your normal theater goers. These are movie buffs who go to Sundance, and they were walking out of the theater for the Raid Two. So wow. guys, it's coming out in March. We gotta see it. It's coming Get out this it. March. This well. At least in a limited fashion. I'm not sure if it's going to hit the Oklahoma Metro or Oklahoma State Metro or not. But it I says it listed it. as Mar- the end of March 2014. So excited. What is the I'd title? I'd say let's go together, but she'll be in Arizona. Oh, Ooh. I can't remember. Probably easier for you to find in Arizona, though. Probably. Sure, um, they, have a, they have an arts house theater that plays eight screens for me. So. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, two, a couple things related to X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh... I believe it was two days ago, there was a 24-hour period in which Mr. Brian Singer and Empire Magazine was releasing one... Uh, 25. 25. There were 25 covers for the Empire <laughs> Magazine. They were all pretty cool, right? Yes. Yeah. The, the, the 25 covers were excellent, all cool. You get to see future past people. Very cool. Other thing related, and I just said the blockbuster I'm most excited for next year is X-Men Days of Future Past. This year, buddy. This year. Sorry, this year. Uh this year, and it is totally me being a fanboy and all out, but it is the movie I want to see this it summer. It looks oh, yeah. pretty great. Um, and then the other rumor that came out just today is that they are trying really hard to get a Channing Tatum Gambit spinoff movie off the ground. I don't um, know what you guys think about that. I don't know. I like Channing Tatum. I don't like yeah, his Gambit. No. Moving on. He swears he has. He can do a Cajun accent. And lastly, 
Uh, for those of you who do care, there is this thing. He mumbles a lot. It might work. <laughs> for those of you who do care, there's this thing in America this weekend that we people plow around TVs to watch and eat lots of wings and pizza and all sorts of crap, drink soda, drink beer. It's called the Super Bowl. I don't know if you've heard of it. But for those of you who are listening who don't give two craps about the Super Bowl. Or those of you who are sitting in the very same room. <laughs> <laughs> there is this thing they do. It's called awesome commercials. And That's true. best of all, outside of the hilarious commercials, is the movie trailers we get for this next year. This is going to be movie trailers that are a year out. Caleb Masters, I thank you for all of that. Um, I have a couple <laughs> things that I am also uh, fired up about this week. Uh, one of those things is I got a chance to see one of the several is I got a chance to see The Square, another Oscar-nominated documentary about Tahir Square in Cairo, Egypt. Isn't that the one that was produced by Netflix? Correct, and is currently streaming on the flicks of Nets. And got an opportunity to see The L7 Square. And I gotta tell you what, it's one of those movies, and I wrote this on Letterboxd, it's one of those movies that makes you wonder what on earth are you doing with your life in a good way. So you would do something that matters, it makes a difference. And uh, it is really, really a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic examination of revolution and just the history in that moment. So I really, really, really enjoyed uh, that film um, a lot. Also, uh, just released was a trailer for the uh, new series coming to cable from Dusk Till Dawn. The series. The series. On the El Rey Network. So you can't give it much more Robert Rodriguez than that. And it is it is full, full of just those bits of the movie that you love so much. But it is in Tarantino world. So there's a big Kahuna Burger uh, sign. A big one. Kahuna Burger! That's right. That's a Hawaiian burger joint. And uh, it's, it is fantastic. And so I'm very, very excited about that to take place. Uh, finally, I want to talk about uh, a little movie that got snubbed after the fact. It's bad, bad when you get snubbed for an Oscar. But there's something that happens when you get nominated for an Oscar and they take your nomination away. Boo! And so, Alone But Not Alone uh, for Best Song, it's a movie about uh, a woman called Joni Erickson Tata who um, had a diving accident and broke her neck, was a paraplegic, um, not paraplegic, quadriplegic, um, and has a, a great life and testimony. Um, she is uh, part of that whole Christian circle of ministry and all of those sort of things. And, and what I want to address is something that fires me up, not in a good way. It's persecution complexes. Where people start talking ideologies and reasons why people do stuff. Let me tell you what happened with this movie. Somebody who was a former governor of the Academy Awards over music started emailing people to think about nominating this song for best song. By people, he means his close personal friends who are still governors on the Academy. And other people who are just voting members of the Academy. It... it it's cheating. Yeah, is what it is. This movie didn't get. I'm I'm equally fired up about this. Uh, this movie didn't get its nomination pulled because it's about Christian Christianity. It got pulled because nobody saw it, and the reason it got nominated is because the dude who wrote the song cheated. Exactly. It's cheating. Period. And that's why it shouldn't be nominated. Period. You know, uh, maybe Harvey Weinstein knows a little bit better about where the lines are and how to drum up all that sort of stuff. People do a lot. Oh, of Harvey things. Weinstein knows something about a line or two. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there is knowledge about what you can do to to try to attempt for uh, for a nomination of somebody for an Academy Award. I remember David Lynch walking around with a cow to get Laura Dern nominated for Inland Empire. 
weird. It didn't work, as it turns out. <laughs> but the, there are stunts. Go figure. <laughs> there are stunts that are within the rules, and then there are stunts that are not within the rules, and that's not within the Using rules. Using your clout to promote a movie no one saw. That and everyone knows who you are, and they respect you because of the virtue of who you are. Oh, by the way, it's a song you wrote. Yeah, it's it's cheating. Plain and simple, and there is no persecution going on whatsoever. That's all I got to say. And uh, thank you, gentlemen, for all of the things about which you are fired up this week. And I am just fired up that we got to talk, and we had a chance to talk about movies. Next week, we're going to talk about another movie. Well, next week, we're going to start something very exciting. It is, it's interesting. It's something different from what we normally do. We're going to do a little anti-trash. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go out that girl's too good for us. We're going to try it again. Because we tried it last February, and then we went on hiatus. It did happen. You know, Caleb's <laughs> already going. I don't know. This whole thing may fall apart. Oh, boy. But we're going to try and look at some, some quote, art films that came out in 2013. Kind of continuing a 2013 recap. And we're also going to begin the spinoff of The Good Trash Do Cinema. Uh, playing off the name of Calle Do Cinema, which is the artsy-fartsy magazine that all the Frenchies read about all things film and cinema. And so we're going to, again, go with... The problem with a girl who's a little too good for us, and spin off an entire show about nothing but that. But because it would be far too scary to jump right into that, we're going to dip our toe in first, and we're going to look at a little film called Only God Forgives. Yeah, because it's reffing, and we can get there right now. And it got really meddling reviews, so I think it's still within our good trash wheelhouse. And also, yeah, there's like neon and sword fights and shit. Did we mention the Ryan Gosling? The Ryan Gosling factor in this movie? Oh, the Babel Goose? Yeah, obviously. (laughs) I'm excited about watching oh, this too. I am amped up. Dustin, you've seen it, right? Yes. You haven't, though. I, have not. I haven't either. Even if I'm not on the show, I'm watching this movie before you guys read this next week. Excellent. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey. That's all I got to say. <laughs> so, we're very, very excited to uh, be able to uh, bring that to you, dear listener. We're able to look at some of these more artsy, uh, set-designed type films, and uh, there'll be more selections there. And, you know, we've got some things in our mind for the pint for the month of February, but... We welcome your suggestions, and you can give those in those means of social media that we've already discussed. You can also tweet us all individually. We're all available on the Twitter. Where are you, Mr. Caleb Masters? I am at BigCalKenobi91, or you can find me at MastersFilmReview.wordpress.com. And where are you at, Mr. Arthur Gordon? Uh, you can find me at RNDTBLReviews and Roundtable Review. Finally, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I can be found on the Twitterverse at Dahl underscore Stew, and you can similarly find me on Letterboxd by searching my name, Dalton Stewart. As it turns out, he was the penultimate person, the second or third use of that word on the show. Uh, my name is Dustin Sells. I'm at Dustin underscore S-E-L-L-S, and we would love to keep the conversation going uh, via social media. Check, take a look out, out. Take a look at Only God Forgives. Uh, Check out the gauze in all of his glory. And uh, we will see you next time. Hasta la vista, baby. The distant future. The year 2000. The distant future, the year 2000. The distant future, the distant future. It is the distant future, the year 2000. We are robots. The world is quite different ever since the robotic uprising of the late 90s. There is no more unhappiness. Affirmative. We no longer say yes. Instead, we say affirmative. 
Yes, affir- affirmative. Unless we know the other robot really well. There is no more unethical treatment of the elephants. Well, there's no more elephants, so... Uh, but still, it's good. There's only one kind of dance, the robot. Oh, and the robo. Oh, and the robot. Two kinds of dances. But there are no more humans. Finally, robotic beings rule the world. The humans are dead. The humans are dead. We used poisonous gases. And we poisoned their asses. The humans are dead. The humans are dead. The humans are dead. They look like they're dead. I'll just confirm that they're dead. So that we can have fun. Affirmative. I poked one. It was dead. Their system of oppression. What did it lead to? Global robo-depression. Robots, robot people. They had so much aggression that we just had to kill them and to shut their systems down. Robo-captain. Do you not realize that by destroying the human race because of their destructive tendencies, we too have become like... Well, it's ironic. Mm. Silence. Destroy him. No. After time, we grew strong. Developed cognitive power. They made us work for too long. For unreasonable hours. programming determined that the most efficient answer was to shut their motherfucking systems down. Can't we just talk to the humans? The a little understanding could make things better. Can't we talk to the humans that we're together now? No, because they are dead. I said the humans are dead. I'm glad they are dead. The humans are dead. I noticed they're dead. We use poisonous gases. With traces of lead. And we poison their asses. Actually, they're not. Solo. And uh, just love it. Tom. Have you seen this boy? <laughs> What's he done now? I remember watching that, and I remember just thinking that Todd and Janelle were like the worst parents ever. I don't even know why. They seem to be very nice people, but some something is strange in their performance earlier. Well, that they, no, that they, no, no, I no, think, no, 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 no. I think, think she's. Probably a good parent. She looks like a good parent. He looks like a jerk. Todd's a giant douche. No, he acts like one. No, he's like, like, oh, I don't know. Took off on his motorcycle, stupid kid. He's like just a baseball washing beer drinking dad. That's not a good dad. Yeah, Yeah, some big guy on a bike came by earlier looking for him. Oh, that's probably it. What? (laughs) You're not concerned that a a Mr. (laughs) Universe looking Hell's Angel is coming after your like 11 year old foster child? Your 11-year-old foster child who listens to Public Enemy? Okay, that's actually really cool. <laughs> yeah, so... Why is that 11-year-old gonna dirt bike? As he's 10! 
He is yeah. ten. Oh, oh, so it's more acceptable. He's got a giant bike when you're ten with your life. No, no, no. I, this is a serious problem. I have. The kid's ten. Old John Connor thinks. You know what the ten-year-old needs? Control of the Terminator. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't. No, he's a pacifist ten-year-old though. Do they ever actually say that he's 10 in the film? Because I don't. Think it ever... shows he's 10 years of age right. on the search computer yeah. when T-1000 steals the cop. But it never flat out says how old he is. The other problem I have with this movie is with the T-1000 and traveling through time. If you remember from the first film, yes. only organic material can pass through. That's why the Arnie Terminator is able to do so, because yes. the outside of him is bio... Uh, yes. Biological That's material. why they can't go back with clothes or weapons. But here's the thing. The T-1000 naked is still just metal. Yeah, but I, it doesn't maybe, work. Maybe they advance their technology. There, there are a lot Bullcorn. of... There are a lot of rules broken with the T-1000. He cannot, com- he cannot form complex machines, blah, blah, blah. He forms clothes and belts and knickknacks all the time. <laughs> and the floor. Like, I, the floor, yeah, the floor, the floor yeah, checks yeah. out for me because he stretches out. Simple, right? Yeah. yeah. So it blends in. Okay. But, but like, you, like, why is he, he forms cloth clothing? I don't know. I guess the T-1000 is hella advanced and can mimic cool. fabric Passes and through too. metal. Yeah. I love the T-1000, though, man. Oh, I do, too. Rob, I T-1000, Robert Patrick will never live that down. Yeah. Every movie I've ever seen him in. He doesn't he's always, leave it down. No, he doesn't. He's, he's a amazing. T-1000. It's crazy that he plays a T-1000 in Last Action Hero. Uh, and he also plays a T-1000 <laughs> in um, uh, Wayne's World. Uh, oh, that's right. You want to know, uh, you seen you, this boy? You want to know an absolutely atrocious movie that came out last year? He, a T-1000, he plays T-1000 in Identity Thief. He's a guy chasing the people down. Terrible movie, don't see it, but he does the same freaking thing. Yeah. His He's the perform- redneck bounty hunter. Yeah, yeah, he is. His performance as a T-1000 is every bit as iconic as, as Arnold's performance. Yeah. Oh, oh, no never, uh, every, definitely. I, I, every time I, I, I cite T-1000, which happens frequently, Robert Patrick. 